You're listening to The Bookworm. This is a podcast on Starburst Magazine's lovely website, starburstmagazine.com. It's also Fab Radio International, and if you're listening to to us live, hello, I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Del today. Hello. <laughs> I did it again, didn't I? I said that I'm Del today. Uh, are you Del, not Del some days? Some, some days, apparently. Yeah. Apparently not. Mm. Well, well done, me. Good, good start to a show. Again, in fairness, <laughs> several of our hosts are quite frequently different people. And you're, it's true. You're quite often other people. At I am points. very much quite often other people. In fact, I get paid to be other people quite regularly. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll, we'll just put it down to that. I am always your host at Fortune, even <laughs> if you don't want me to be. <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning, when you're looking in the mirror and regretting your life, I'm still your host, Ed Fortune, uh, and we're here with producer Mal. Hello. Hello. So on today's show, I will be talking about the Imperial Handbook. Yes, it's Star Wars spin-off time. It's like there's a movie coming out. Oh, I was looking elsewhere. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about A Different Kingdom by Paul Keeney. And we also have our usual features, chat and interviews. Um, We're going to have a look at book releases just coming up next, but obviously... If you are listening to the live show on FabRadioInternational.com, you can get in touch with us and heckle us. We won't be there because this is a pre-record. Uh, we'll explain <laughs> why. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us at any point, we are uh, at Radio Bookworm on Twitter, at Radio Bookworm on Tumblr, at Radio Bookworm on Facebook, and probably other social media as well. Discover and explore. It's always fun. <laughs> the world 24 hours a day this is Fabrian International oh um before we start uh, you were on another podcast, I understand that. Yes, I was indeed. Um, as this is a future Sunday, because of the, the pre-recording nature of what we're doing, um, because of the date we know we're playing this pre-record, it means that on Wednesday, um, a recording went online with another podcast called The Missing Monkey, whereby the Bookworm B Team, shall we call them, which was <laughs> myself, Russell Smith and Cy Lloyd, um, went along to the Missing Monkey podcast and we played their quiz. That's what the Missing Monkey are. Um, they are a really awesome geek quiz podcast. That, that's what they do. Um, so, yeah, on Wednesday that went up, so that means that's available now for you to listen to where I make a, a giant fool of myself in quiz time. Uh, the website is themissingmonkey.com, but you can also find them on Twitter at Dr. Missing Monkey. And Facebook, facebook.com forward slash BBJS Missing Monkey, or you could just search the Missing Monkey podcast, you'll find them there. Um, we had a really awesome time. I'm not going to spoiler kind of what occurred, but yeah, I was just generally a bit of a buffoon. Um, 
And any any weird questions about the names of the hungry, hungry hippos this time? There were not not any questions about hungry. Is it because I've never seen someone win a quiz with such shame as when myself, Ed, and producer Al did The Missing Monkey on the last series and Ed won the quiz uh, by one point because he knew the names of the hungry, hungry hungry hippos hippos. Um, and then just hung his head, despite the fact he should have been really happy. But yeah, (laughs) shame actual shame there's being a tabletop fan and there's oh dear it's the fact that I actually know not only those names but the names of the different iterations depending on editions oh for the love of well that was part of the question wasn't it it was who are these four four names who and then this name became this and this name became this and Ed just went it's the it's the hungry hungry hippos <laughs> it's already knew that it was a grave error. Um, well, the show that actually the three people in this room did for the last series, um, we recorded in Travelling Man, but we actually got to go to the Missing Monkey studio for the one that's just come out. Um, and yeah, it was really lovely. Apart from when we were doing the promo shots, at one point, um, kind of John, head of Missing Monkey, said, right, everyone do a superhero pose. And they looked at the photo and were like, why do you look so sad? I was like, well, what was I supposed to do? Present my ass." Like, I think they forget that being a, a girl when it comes to superhero pose is a very different thing. Mm, yeah, um, but actually, Do you still have a spine? <laughs> yes. Uh, the photo still looks... Uh, brilliant and came out really well apparently so that's that's still good sad Dell and superhero Cy Russell and, and John <laughs> saving the day <laughs> so um, as you might have covered this is a pre-record we should explain why this is a pre-record um, we are based in Manchester we're a Manchester based radio station uh, Starburst magazine is based in Manchester uh, everything is based in Manchester right now uh, as this pre-record is going out um, the Conservative Party are having a conference and we can't get into work. So, <laughs> so, so yes, helping the economy there, lads. Well done, well done. So we have pre-recorded to to avoid potential chaos. Uh, actually, we don't know at this point when we're recording this because this is this is in the, the past as you're listening to this. Mm. Which is always always as opposed happens. to recording it in the future and sending it back in time. What <laughs> we can do that? That's sort of what we're doing. Mm. This is a future version of us now that people are listening to. Ooh. So wibbly wobbly timey wimey. We have no idea what's actually going on in Manchester, so it could sound like terrible because a lot of people are like, oh, but this happens. Like, no, we're just expecting traffic. It's going to be. It's going to be massive. The, the, the twenty-six sets of roadworks currently encircling the city centre. Twenty-six, according mm. to the Manchester Evening News. And, and then when you add in all the road closures to the areas around the hotels and where the conference. Oh yeah, be, yeah, the, the ring of steel. Mm. Mental. The, the, it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. Not that you care because you've tuned in to listen about books, but books. It's, but you know, it, 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 we just thought we'd mention it in case there's something in the news about it. Um, so the Harry Potter character bolt is coming out. Uh, it should be out very very soon uh, on Titan Books by Julie Evanson. It, it's a it's a, it's a vault full of Harry, Co- Harry Harry Potter characters. Look look yeah. look. Um, is that similar to the thing they did for Doctor Who the other year? Yeah, basically, it's one of those great big heavy <laughs> books that you know if you have several copies of them in your bag and you have to carry them on the tube, you'll get very sweaty very quickly. Yeah, to be fair, you'll get very sweaty very quickly on the tube anyway. But you know, it's it's a big heavy book that. It's, it's almost like Christmas is coming uh, and these you know uh, <laughs> oh yeah good because yeah. the, uh, the adult Harry Potter colouring book oh the what oh, what what, a, what what well you know ad- adult colouring books are a, a, yeah, a yeah. big thing at the moment so yeah just to clarify it's not like 
adult Harry Potter. No, that would, yeah, that would be a different that I said, thing. I said the words in not the order I meant them. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's adult colouring in. So um, it's, so it's colouring in is more complex. And then, yeah, so you can get more <laughs> geometrics and stuff. But the, the Harry Potter, one of those came out this week. As is, well. this, is that concept of it being more complex and intricate slightly insulting towards children? Um, no, I think it's more so. I think I don't actually think is it, it more reflects it, on children. I think it's more a reflection on adults. Is it more it make it acceptable it, to buy it? Yeah, yes. people kind of don't feel that they can le- legitimately say colouring in actually helps calm me down because it gives me a, a thing to do to take my mind off of everything, but actually have a product at the end, um, unless it is complicated and not just colouring in things uh, I know that's like slight, slight deviation but yeah Christmas and Harry Potter <laughs> and stuff and I suppose it's a bit of a lead in because short because what we were told was that tickets for the play would be kind of coming out autumn winter time so is it a kind of maybe a lead into that surely that means that'll oh, be in the no, next few months this is, the play thing's gone quiet I think shh no they won't take it away from us now. No, I, I know, but I, I mean the the talk, the chatter about it. I yeah. think it's gone quiet. Well, maybe it's maybe there's so many things happening. Nothing announced yet. Yeah, but I mean, so yeah, I think Harry Potter and I think we're also getting over the froth of, of whichever Potter son it is that went to Hogwarts for the first time in September, mm-hmm. which went a bit crazy <laughs> on the Twitter and at King's Cross train station. <laughs> Were you going to talk about forthcoming releases? <laughs> uh, I was going to talk about forthcoming releases. Otherwise, Dell's just going to keep talking about Harry Potter again. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, I'm slightly slightly confused and surprised. Um, just give me a moment there. I because I dropped the notes. That's why. Uh, <laughs> Predator incursion of the Rage War. Um, it's got Predator and aliens and predators and all the rest of it. Um, I still think that people need to accept that predators are still aliens. Predators are people too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Soon, very soon, um, Assassin's Creed, the complete visual history, is due for release. And considering this is a pre-record, I think it should have just come out because the 25th is in the week, isn't it? Um, So, yeah, that means that while you're listening to this, the complete visual history of Assassin's Creed is now available for purchase, um, which is kind of to be honest, I think sounds like a really beautiful book. Um, Assassin's Creed, even if you're not a gamer is enjoyable to just sit and watch other people play the the thought that goes into all the visuals um even things that aren't part of the story is just wonderful like the fact that people in this game just climb towers to look at the views that they can see so i think a visual book is just going to be phenomenal um i like visual guides and visual aids in book form anyway um I, it doesn't say kind of if it's well no it does oh, good. I actually read the whole thing now and, but yeah it's, it's a coffee table book so it's going to be stunning I think that gives it scope to just give you so much um, so yeah that should be out um, produced by Ubisoft who make the game so yeah have a look for that that should be awesome um, also along a similar vein we know I like visual things um, Guillermo del Toro uh, it deluxe hardcore hardcover hardcore sketchbook hardcover <laughs> sketchbook. We're back to the um, old calling in book again, aren't we? Yeah, Del Toro is um, he's a film director, but what he all of his films have in common is again really strong visual, beautiful things. 
Um, Del Toro created Pan's Labyrinth, which is, um, well, it's a Mexican film company, but it's a film about the Spanish Civil War and a little girl who, because she is a little girl, cannot cope with the idea of war, so she retreats into her own imagination. Um, stunning, absolutely visually stunning, terrifying, ab- completely terrifying, but you cannot deny that everything you're seeing is beautiful in its its terror. Um, Del Toro also created the Hellboy films. Um, there's he's a, a he's, massive Cthulhu obsessive. Yeah, uh, he did Pacific Rim. Yeah, Pacific Rim um, as well. He there's is strong an visuals in all of those, and I like that in the because Del Toro was originally going to be directing the Hobbit films, but getting put off and things were changing and schedule issues, he had to pull out of that. But one of the things I like is that Jackson clearly kept some of his visual concepts, um, like the the white. Oh my god, what's he called? The big white orc guy. The big oh, yeah, evil yeah. what the big evil white guy. The evil, um, evil 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 walk Well the yeah. whole thing with the mountains fighting each other is very Del Toro. Yes. Rather but than you can than you can see that Del Toro has created that man and you can see um Del Toro's influence on the new design of the Wargs in those films compared to in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I think he has really strong visuals, so again, a beautifully visual book, I think that is going to definitely be worth your time and attention. Again, this comes out on the 25th of September, so this is out now. So, yeah, go go get it, because I don't think you can be disappointed, and both of those are also going to be fantastic Christmas presents. I think coming up next, we have some adverts. Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest-running magazine of sci-fi horror and fantasy. Get the latest news, features, interviews, and reviews from your favorite genre. Available from a newsagent near you or download to your iPad today. Across the world. 24 hours a day. This is Fabrian International. Whether you're an acoustic virtuoso or a rock god, Fab Music Store. At Fab, we buy and sell new and used kit with guitar brands like Faith, Breedlove, Lag and Westfield and Dynacord and Electrovoice sound systems. We hire sound systems from £60 and have guitars for sale from $39.99. With ukuleles, banjos and all the lights, leads, stands and mixers you can imagine. For sales, hire and service, Fab Music Store, Little Underbank, Stockport. Visit fabmusicstore.co.uk. This is Fab Radio International. You you know that peculiar hobby I have where I fantasise that I'm a commander on the Death Star? Yes. It's not a hobby I have. No. Don't mind it. Don't mind it, listeners. But if I did have that hobby, (laughs) or I was a desperate Star Wars fan, what I would want is I would want the Star Wars Imperial Handbook. (gasps) Yes, you would. Which is the handbook for Imperial officers. Oh my God. Look Uh, at it. I I know you can't, it's radio, but look at it. (laughs) You have the internet. You can. You can also go to a bookshop. Remember those? Um, <laughs> so this is a Star Wars I've just noticed it says Legends which is a, a very polite way of saying we wrote this before bef- 
fourth, <laughs> Disney bought the franchise. So it's not part of the reboot, people. Uh, it's always <laughs> Legends. It's not canonical. Don't write it in. That's what Legends means. But this is quite a nice little... It's quite nice little... It's like handbook-sized in the sense that, you know... Mm. You, if you had real naval logbooks in your house for some reason, maybe because you're a naval <laughs> sea captain, um, it would fit next to it and look a bit weird because it's a fictional book. Um, it's a real book, but it's about fictional stuff. <laughs> it's a fictional <laughs> book. It's fictional. They are it fictional doesn't books. really exist. No. They are fi- the Necronomicon is a fictional book. But anyway, this is not <laughs> like the Necronomicon. So the, the idea behind this, I love, I think when I was talking about the, the, the Kirk, the autobiography of Captain Kirk review, I was saying that I, I absolutely adore these kind of, these artifacts from worlds as books. Yes. The fact that it's like somehow a, a portal has opened and this book has dropped out and it's part of somewhere else. So the idea behind this particular book is that they have, it's just, they have uh, the rebels have picked this up just before the Death Star exploded someone got their hands on a Death Star Imperial Handbook guidebook um, and then Han, Leia and all the other rebel chum, chums including Wedge and Tinnies have, have passed this round themselves and they've been writing notes in the margins oh amazing so what you've got is you've got a book that tells you how to behave when you've joined the Galactic Empire so it's got things like our path to victory, core-centric political rule, nationalisation of commerce, cultural dominance, history of the Galactic Empire, and it's basically got stuff written in the margins like any government that won't tolerate criticism is feeble no matter how many battles it claims to have won. Signed Princess Leia. It's like, <laughs> it put a little note in. They all. They, I love the fact that they all sign their little notes as well, <laughs> and they all have different handwriting. And Han's handwriting is not very neat or tidy, which is really cool. <laughs> um, it's like he doesn't care. But they've gone in. They've gone through. Essentially, the book itself, the core book itself, is is a handbook. So it explains the history of the Emperor Empire, uh, the Star Wars Empire, what the various types of stormtrooper armor are for, what the various ships in the Imperial Navy do, what to do if one of them is about to explode and you need to leave very quickly because it's about to explode. Um, how the Imperial Army works, what sort of guns you can get, what sort of uh, weird mounted creatures you can go on the back of, um, how to not quite how to put on a suit of Imperial Stormtrooper armor, but there's a diagram here that says this is the helmet, this is the arm piece, this is the leg piece. Don't put that on your head, you know that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and this is a note here saying don't pick up an abandoned stormtrooper helmet if a Wookiee recently passed that way there might be still the head inside <laughs> signed Han you're like ah. oh okay but it also tells you you know those cool belts they have where like you know how they, mm. all stormtroopers have utility belts so yeah like they, they they don't have one that is shooting lessons but they have like ones that have, it tells you all the stuff that's in there so they have a grappling hook and a comm link and, and a clip for their rifle and another clip for their wrist binders um, they could have fit all that in a bum bag. Yeah, it's a little bum bag thing. It is really, it's a bum bag, isn't it? <laughs> Imperial bum bag. Um, or fanny pack, if you're American. That's, that's oh. why I would say fanny pack. Because as a British person, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and no, we won't explain why. No, no, we will not. They've no, got no. thermal detonators like, on their bottoms. Like stormtroopers, you know that little tube? Because I always thought that was Pringles. But no, that's, how, that's, like, that's like a bomb. That's terrifying. Why would you have a bomb on your bum? That's like putting your wand in your pocket. Yeah. For not. 
not something. Well, it's something I do regularly. Uh, it's not something you really want to do, really. Anyway, what what the Imperial Handbook is is it's a clever little artifact, and unlike say the autobiography of James D. Kirk, which is a solid book that goes through from A to B to C and explains you know the, the life of Kirk, this is just. Literally a, a manual. It's literally it's a in manual. surprisingly good nick, considering how old it must be and how far it must have travelled <laughs> a long time ago. ago. Yeah. Well, well, maybe maybe it's effect, effect. It's not even bashed on the corners. They've they've really looked after this. Maybe it's those the good people. You'd expect at least Han <laughs> to have dropped it at least once. Yeah, I think he looks after it more than more than he says. But the ha- you're right. Though, the handwriting is really really awesome. That's a really nice touch. They're very good at staying on the lines, though. There's no coffee well rings, either. There's no. no that. There's not a single coffee ring or tea. Oh, this bit's underlined. That's nice. Leia likes her underlining. She does indeed. She she likes to underline. There's no highlighter pens involved. Madine. Uh, one, one. one of the... And then Wadge. Is it Wadge? Oh, wedge. It's difficult to see in this light. Yes, Wedge. Yes. Wedge needs to sort his A's out because they... Sort his E's out because they look like A's. So yeah, maybe that's something that he can work on, even though he's, he's dead now. That was a long, long time ago. Um, oh my god, all the Star Wars characters are dead. Oh my goodness, because it was a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, it, it was a long time ago. But there's they're, a they're myth now. There's, there's yeah. a map of the Death Star. Yeah, Ooh. there's like a lovely cross section into it. This is exceptionally well thought out. Um, is, this, is this just come out then, or is, is it about to come out? It's or? just come out. It's literally, literally in time out. for Christmas. <laughs> going to keep shocking. saying that word now. Shocking. <laughs> but it is, it's Yeah, really, we are going to get a lot of that. It's really nicely illustrated. It's, it's really nicely put together. It is actually it is actually a work manual. It's very well put together because this is exactly what I would expect to get. Um interesting margins, visually appealing. Um I have I have to ask though the question has to be asked. Is there a page in here that has a picture of an Ewok that simply just says, you don't need to worry about these guys? No. Oh, they've missed a trick. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> don't worry about them. That's uh, fine. Uh, obscure, obscure <laughs> alien murder bears, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Ewoks. I love the Ewoks. They, they... Obscure alien murder bears. Ed Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they practice ritual human sacrifice, which is fine because that's not cannibalism because they're not humans. Mm, I'm still not sure that's fine. It's not cannibalism, <laughs> but it still doesn't make it okay just because it's not cannibalism. It's eating a sentient creature, which is wrong. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I like that there is the mix of colour and black and white imagery as well just like you get in a handbook some pages you've managed to save on printing costs but other pages deserve the extra the extra mm. this is just like some lovely blueprints here for various things this is absolutely stunning it, it, it's it, gorgeous it, it's basically you have joined the imperial army well yeah. there's some wonderful notes in there as well where it's like um there's a, there's a ramble quite early on from Leia where she's like many of the people who join the imperial scouts defect to the rebels because you know they join with all this idealism and they want to explore the the galaxy and then the first time they they bring the the, the emperor in to destroy a planet pretty much because hey it's got oil or whatever <laughs> uh, it's, it's got stuff that we need they get kind of you know they get disillusioned and they leave yeah they the rebels, um, which is sorry Cam. and and the the note to basically use to rose the book is very much kind of like 
join the Emperor, the Emperor's brilliant, and these little notes that are haranguing all the way through, like the rebels do in the movies, they're kind of like constantly haranguing and criticising and building up, kind of tell a story and tell the story about the, um, the, the Empire itself. And it's just these lovely little touches. Now there's a lot, of, I mean, various franchises have done books like this before. It's, there's a Dalek one, there's a there's a 40k one. There's all sorts of you know. It's not ever since the SES survival manual that came out, parody versions have been done. These little artifacts, but they've really really gone gone to town. Yeah, they have. Way. And I think especially like there's a little note here I've just found, which is Han responding to one of Leia's notes because Leia's getting all like ah propaganda blah 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 blah, and he's just essentially gone like it's just an empty boast. Besides, this guy is space dust now. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, but I like that it's got some of the examples of the propaganda posters and things that they would have created. So there's one here, it's called like Vigilance is Victory, and it's just got a lovely strong soldier man standing there. It just says, We fight, we win. And it's brilliant. There's so much thought in this. There's a shout out to the 501st in there, there's a bunch of other bits Ooh. and pieces. Um, if you, basically, if you're the sort of person who won Stormtrooper armor, then this should be in your Christmas sock. Yeah. If you're the sort of person who ever wanted to be a Jedi, this is probably going to end up in your Christmas sock. If, if, you, if you are the sort of person who who dresses up as a stormtrooper, you can probably expect your aunt to buy you this in desperation for Christmas. Yeah. And you might end up with several of them. Put it on several of your wish lists, and then people will definitely see it. We might have to get a photo of a stormtrooper reading this. <gasps> we can we can probably get one of those, can't we? Though? Quite easily. We need, we need that to happen. If if you have a stormtrooper outfit and you're listening and you have are buying this manual or get it for Christmas, please send us a photo of you reading it in your stormtrooper outfit please 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 we will retweet that a lot shall we shall we, we talk move about on things? Yeah. we've got, we've got <laughs> an interview to do I believe So we caught up with this lovely orphan, and we were delighted to talk to them. So here you go, here was an interview. This is Fab Radio International. Toby Downton, welcome to the Bookworm. Hello, Ed. Thank you for um, welcoming me on the show. What can you tell us about Solarversia? Um, Solarversia, the year-long game. Uh, well, like the name suggests, uh, it's a year-long game that takes place in the year 2020 in a virtual world. Um, the kind of the book that it's closest to is one called Ready Player One, which is actually currently being filmed and directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, the the virtual world in the book is based on the real world solar system, hence the name Solarversia. And the format of the game is a knockout. So on the 29th of February 2020, 100 million players start the game and they're all vying for first place to be the kind of last person standing at the end of the year to win £10 million. Um, I've used fairly standard gaming mechanics for the game in that each of the 100 million players has three lives 
Each of those lives has 100 health points, and they each have three vehicles as well, a car, a boat, and a plane, in which to explore the virtual world. Why video games? I I used to be a gamer um, when I was a lot younger. I got my first computer age seven, a Commodore 64, um, and worked. my brother and I worked our way through uh, various computers and consoles, as is quite common, um, kind of later on moving on to uh, SNES, um, in particular Mario Kart was, was a favourite. Um, but I probably stopped being a big gamer in my mid-twenties when work and life that kind of thing um, took over, and I'm more of a probably a more of a casual gamer these days. Um, just kind of puzzle games on the phone and the iPad, that kind of thing. Is gaming actually the biggest thing right now? It does. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think so. I mean, if you look at um, the kind of um, stats, um, oh, I, read, I read recently that there are 700 million gamers in the world when i was doing research for solarversia that was a stat that i found somewhere uh, obviously that's a huge huge number um and i'm wondering even if it isn't larger um because of um the way in which yeah mo- i mean you know my, most people do play um casual games um on their phones these days so, yeah, I think we could one day be moving towards um, something like that where it's essentially ubiquitous. So would Solarversia appeal to fans of Ready Player One? What's, what's quite interesting uh, about Ready Player One is that, um, I mean, that book is obviously packed absolutely full of them. And Ernie's point is that most um, books or films don't actually contain pop culture references which isn't particularly realistic because in the real world um, and everyday life, it's absolutely jam-packed full of them. Um, You know, people kind of make pop culture references, you know, quote people um, from from books and films the whole time. So again, in a way, I think we kind of are moving towards that. Um, Something that I I do in Solarversia um, is actually give a catchphrase to each player. So each of the 100 million players, um, as well as having their vehicle choices and player number from one to a million, also has their own uh, catchphrase, um, which can these things can be kind of turned on or switched off by other players um, as they're going around the virtual world. What's next? Well, the way that I've set it up is um, the potential, there's potentially a sequel there, um, the, the the sequence um, that I'm hoping to set in motion is uh, the book um, followed by getting a traditional publishing deal um, followed by um, selling the movie rights that's of course um, you know the, the big plan followed by launching the game for real in in 2020 so what's next is for the the book to take off it only launched um, this week um, or on Monday, so I'm hoping for the book to take off to attract a traditional publishing deal, um, sell the movie rights, and then t- to actually build the company Spiralworks that, that's in the book. That's one of the perspectives in the book 
to be able to build the game itself, the Solarversity of the game, to actually launch in 2020 so that people can actually play it. Um, uh, and if all this happens, um, the, the cycle would be every four years, such that there's a year-long game every four years, 2020, 24, 28, and so on. What's the Oculus Rift connection? Um, I started on this in in earnest just a few days after Facebook bought Oculus Rift, the, the virtual reality headset maker, um, for $2 billion uh, last year. So that was March 2014 that happened. And although the idea for Solarversity of the year-long game was one that was quite a few years old, it was that event, it was Facebook buying Oculus for $2 billion that really spurred me into action and got me writing the book. And at the time, Facebook were kind of it was speculated that the oculus rift might well have already launched uh, by now um they were kind of talking originally for a launch date of june july of 2015 and i decided that self-publishing was the only route that actually made any sense to me if i wanted to get the book out before that launch which is something I very much wanted to do. I wanted to have the book out there, um, people reading it in time for the launch. And the traditional publishing route just doesn't allow that. You know, it, for, for, it takes, can take months to get, to get an agent um, in the first place. And then, of course, having an agent is no guarantee that they'll actually get you the traditional publishing deal, which can take you know another six months, a year, 18 months, and so on. So in terms of timing, it really was the only option open to me if I wanted to get it out there in time. Why the self-publishing model? Hmm. That's a, it's a good question. Obviously one that's being asked um, a heck of a lot um, in in the industry at, at the moment by lots of people, including publishers themselves. Um, I mean, something that's happened that's quite interesting is that the kind of the march of ebooks seems to have slowed down somewhat. There was definitely a trend um, kind of three, four years ago that looked like we might all be reading ebooks at some point in the future you know only kind of two or three years down the line but the the share of ebooks has kind of flattened off somewhat um, in terms of publishers themselves hmm, i think it would be foolish to completely write them off but at the same time they're going to have to up their game in terms of what they're offering and um, to people i think Authors, whether they're self-published or traditionally published, are far, far more knowledgeable than at any time in history about about how the the industry works and about how good self-published authors have it in terms of the control that they have over the books that they're creating. You know, the kind of cover art, um, the pricing, um, distribution, and so on. And lots of them are kind of saying, well, actually, you know, what is it that, that you're doing um, as a publisher that I can't be doing myself any better? 
Um, so the question is open at the moment. Truth or beauty? Truth. Toby Downton, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Speak to you later. This is Fab Radio International. Hello everybody, you're tuned in listening to uh, The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Um, if you are listening to us today, this is actually a pre-record, we're not in the studio, so don't turn on your webcam, but yeah, we're here, hello. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about A Different Kingdom by Paul Kearney. Um, it's not a new book, A Different Kingdom was written in 1993, but the reason I wanted to review it is when I read it, I don't know why I've never come across it before, and I don't know why I've never read it before, um, because in terms of fan fantasy kind of writing it's really awesome and on 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 paper it's everything that i enjoy so i kind of i'm in complete confusion why i've not come across it and i wanted to review it just in case other people haven't come across it as well because if you enjoy fantasy then then you should you should actually read this um a different kingdom is a kind of it's a there's a parallel world kind of story so it's not that there's stuff happening in our world there's another world attached to our world um various pockets um that people don't stumble across it's not one of those where just anyone can find their way into this world um but yeah there's there's a parallel fantasy forest that you can access from some places this is the story of michael fay who finds his way into this world um maybe through various manipulation there's definitely kind of a a fate sense going through the story um but it's set in ireland which i think actually creates a very different sort of story because you may be thinking well i've read that story before you haven't um we learn about michael and we learn about this world with three different michaels we have michael as a child embarking upon this adventure um and then the first half of the story we also have the one of the narrators which is michael as as an adult um and that's kind of you get crosses of that so one one section will be from michael child then another section will be michael adult michael child michael adult the second half of the book is being also still being told from the point of view of michael child but then Michael in his second adult life and that's where the story got very interesting and that's when you kind of in so in the second half of the book there is a realization that obviously something a thing you think might occur is definitely going to otherwise there would not be the possibility of having two adult Michaels in one story um it's really difficult to tell you about that without spoiling or giving much away but already that's an exceptionally interesting point of view and an exceptionally interesting kind of idea for a story in that we've got three three people telling telling us this story and all of them are the same person um but and they've and they have all existed so the fact that we have two adult michaels um it's still the same person. Yeah, I'm get, Ed is giving me <laughs> confused eyebrows. Uh, yeah, we have two adult Michaels. They're both the same Michael and they have both existed, um, which isn't a story you come across very often, uh, but, but read it to understand that more. Um, it's because it is set in Ireland, it is different. It, it creates a story 
that we don't come across very often um it's it's a kind of i it's gnarly and it's feral and because i think in in you think because we've got a fantasy sorry staten island that like yeah we'd have like banshees and, and leprechauns as would be the kind of stereotypical norm we don't get that we've got a gnarly feral fantasy world um because we have the world and then there is what Michael terms the other place and the other place is made up of the big magical forest but then even within that the deeper into the forest you go there is a place called the wolf Weald, which is a terrifying terrifying place um, which you kind of gets built up and built up and built up throughout the story through the fact that it's not mentioned and people don't want to go there um, but we do actually get to go there which is is wonderful but yeah, I think that feral nature is dependent on its kind of Irish agricultural kind of setting because Michael as a child also means that we get to kind of we get an idea of social change and the presence of the industrial revolution on agriculture in Ireland and agriculture is a really big part of many places in Ireland. So we learn about that world and therefore that lends to just this grisly fantasy world as well um which is is wonderful. We also kind of get an idea of of the the religion kind of how because religion and, and Ireland can be quite synonymous in a lot of ways. They don't touch on it in a normal sense though. It's more that in the the other place, which is magic, there's fairies who are called um, the the woodland folk, um, and they're they're horrible. <laughs> I see for a moment there, I was like jolly happy animals of falling wood. Nope. <laughs> Oh well, yeah, animals with falling wood is not a nice thing. So maybe yes, um, but yeah, no, they're not. They're not nice fairies. They're horrible mischief makers of, that are kind of a bit meh. But they they live among people, and they're just while they are, I, they they're, intrinsically they're not nice people. They're also they're not malicious, malicious. Like they're not kind of people that you need to worry about from a, a life threatening um, point of view. But one of the things that is interesting is that because these pockets and sometimes people do find their way in, people have tried to take Christianity to this place. And so there are like crosses every now and then that there are monasteries there um, who are kind of populated by brethren and places where Christianity is and places where Christianity is represented. The magic of the wood cannot exist. Uh, it's the, the really dominion. interesting yeah yeah it really is that kind of dominion kind of the, idea the, the dominion of christ the the sound of the bells that sort of yeah so things like they um at one point they're uh, michael finds he hasn't had clean water for a while and they find a spring and he's drinking the water and he feels amazing but he's traveling with a character that automatically from the time we meet her we know she's not human but we don't we don't know no um, but she drinks the water and it's it's like sickening and it makes her feel horrible and they look and there's um, a stone crucifix in the spring so because Michael um, Michael's been baptised Michael's been brought up in a Catholic house um, he's fine but for her she's like it's it's dirty and it's hurting her because she is a product of magic and magic and Christianity cannot cannot coexist um which kind of yeah obviously there's there's metaphors and stuff in there but it is explicitly dealt with as well one of the characters in michael's farm 
is a Protestant, but him and the farm owner have been friends for years. It's never it's never an issue apart from on kind of special kind of military memorial days because the farmhand Mullen was in the war in a kind of Protestant regiment um, and that's the only time where they kind of have to acknowledge the fact that there is a religious difference there but they're both friends so they just kind of ignore it so it kind of it does it does deal with it explicitly kind of religion and Ireland but most of the time it's actually kind of that metaphorical kind of magic <laughs> magic way of dealing with it um it is really interesting. There's tiny intrigues that are never explained. I do want to touch on the fact that one of the unusual things of the story, and just to, to prep anyone so they're not like, well, they never said this in the review, um, there is a large aspect of kind of the idea of sexual awakening in this story, but it's done it's done quite interestingly um, and quite honestly as well. Like, um, there is there is a scene where Michael's kind of first erection occurs but he's really young and it's not sexual because he doesn't know what it is it's just that we as an adult reading this story obviously we're aware of what it is we're aware of what it means um and there is there is a sex scene in the story when michael is kind of 13 but and at first you know when you're like oh i'm really uncomfortable Ew, yeah. yeah and then i realized that actually even though it is a sex scene, it is not being delivered to be sexy. Like it's not, for, for from a reader's point of view, it is not a sexual thing. It's just about the idea that if you're 13, you've got hormones all over the place, um, and you find yourself in a magic world, you kind of you do lose those things that you know about yourself. But interestingly, it does then afterwards. He sat there, kind of going, "Have I just committed a mortal sin?" <laughs> so his his upbringing kind of kicks in. Um, but one of the things that also did not help that situation was I always have I always have a book with me. Um, I was reading this while I was at Edinburgh Festival this year, and I got stuck in a really long queue when the whole ticket system went down. <laughs> so got my book out, was just reading my book. Um, people were quite jealous that I was reading a book, and then I was reading this weird sex scene because it is quite odd because it, it yeah. there isn't anything else like it up until that point in the story. And the guy stood behind me, just leant over in my ear and went, I'm reading your book over your shoulder, just so you know. And I went... That's not fucking Yeah, creepy. and I was like, oh, um, this is a bit of a weird bit, if I'm honest. And he went, yeah, it is a bit. And I was like, what do you expect <laughs> to get from that conversation? Were you hoping that I'd now engage in some weird conversation about weird sex stuff with you? What that's, is happening? That's a weirdly creepy. Yeah. That's, that's it's not really weirdly creepy, weird. it's just creepy. It's really creepy. Because reading it over someone's shoulder is creepy. Yeah. And I, I have had the situation, and something <laughs> recently happened to me, a very, not, not similar at all. I was... <laughs> I was reading the Scarlet Gospels on a... Pro- is it not similar at all because you're a bloke and therefore it's entirely less creepy for it's a start of the get-go? <laughs> it's entirely less creepy, but it's equally funny. Um, I was reading the Scarlet Gospels on on the bus, on the train, and there was another guy who was clearly, like... I, I didn't realise, because you know me, I'm totally oblivious. <laughs> and then there was Mr. Just, Observant. <laughs> there, there was just this, this kind of horrified gurgling cough and I turned around and the guy the guy kind of put his hands over his face and like immediately looked away and I was just like well you've just read the book that I'm reading I'm reading <laughs> Clive Barker and talk about weird sex scenes and without without going into details blood 
Mm. And other fluids. Oh, oh. And ew. And it was <laughs> it was a, an especially ew scene. And if you read the Scarlet Gospels, I do not have to paint you a picture. But if I did, it wouldn't be in paint. <laughs> but no, that's weird. That it was weird. I was like, especially because I think it's quite odd to acknowledge that you're reading something that someone has with them over their shoulder anyway. But especially to if you have been reading it therefore you know what bit they're reading was exceptionally odd and especially because I was like I'm not leaving this queue I've been stood in this queue for 45 minutes I deserve these tickets and I was like I'm just stuck with this weird man reading a very odd sex scene over my shoulder sort of with me which is yeah it it, it wasn't my favourite I'm not going to lie um, but obviously that's, I know part of me wanted to but then I was like no it, this is definitely inappropriate considering the age of the people in this story um, and it was like five in the afternoon nice. <laughs> so I was just like no I'm, I'm definitely not doing that um, yeah I think that aside even though I do kind of see the justification of it within the story and it does fit this is wonderful and I don't think just some odd kind of sexual awakening things should be enough to put people off um, the characters, all the characters are there straight away. The way they speak, the way that they're delivered to you is wonderful. Um, whether that is people in the real world or whether that is people in the, the other place. Um, the grandparents, the voices are there. The aunties are there straight away. The uncle, um, Mullen, the, the farmhand. Um, but even like the animals... You aren't, you know the animals' characters, and they don't speak, and they're just a presence that's around. But like the dog demon, you just, you you know demon, um, and the horses and things. And I think that's a really, that's a really interesting thing to be able to do that. Um, and especially there's a character called Ringbone, who's one of what Michael terms the fox people. And at first they're horrifying, like they wear foxes' faces, they smell of rot, and they just they're fetid and horrible actually they are not the bad people in this story and even though you're surrounded by these horrible kind of Im- imagery and ideas that would normally be bleh they're nice and that comes across and that's I think that's a very interesting thing to be able to achieve um, and I think all of this is really helped by the fact that Paul Kearney who wrote A Different Kingdom studied um, Norse, Middle English and Anglo-Saxon at Oxford University and so it does just have that idea of history in it and it it really creates that tie and it feels legit really it's it's fantastic and the ever-present horseman who I'm just going to leave leave you with I do think that Kearney is one of the most underrated authors he he is along with Francis Harding he's one of my my why aren't they better known why I know known? well like I said like this story why didn't I know about this book considering this is all I've read for such a long time this should have been on my radar it should be on yours so what other books would you compare it to? you know what I really don't I really don't know I'm, it's so difficult I think some some aspects of it are quite David Gemmell-esque like the idea of like waiting and the way that you kind of the way that you f- learn about how characters feel about things and their relation to their environment felt quite Gemmel. Um but the actual story itself I've I don't know. It's really difficult. It sounds it sounds almost Graham Joyce in its premise with that mm. kind of, the, the kind of fairy tale but not what you expect. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think especially considering I haven't 
I haven't told I've managed to not tell you about so many things that make this book great because I don't want to ruin them and I think there's a real humanity in this so what's it called and who's it by? Uh, it's A Different Kingdom by Paul Kearney published by Solaris definitely look this up I think you're right that I have the the, the kind of the, the male uh, male well the male privilege thing where you know if someone is reading over my shoulder I don't feel immediately threatened but I do get quite annoyed and a bit tutty mm. when, when when you realise it's happening whereas you know because I'm quite large yeah I think there's like a <laughs> but I think there's a rudeness to it sometimes because it's an invasion of your current experience even if it's not an invasion of your privacy um but no i think it i don't i think it's terms of saying like oh it's like being a man or being a woman i think, kind of think that might just literally be the physicality that if you're a bloke stood up most people won't be able to read over your shoulder i think sometimes it's really hard to not read over somebody's shoulder like you'll see some like you'll generally be trying to not look at them or not engage mm. and like a word will just catch your eye and you'll get drawn in I don't. I and so you're trying to like do it really subtly sometimes. I quite happily read people's if people have like a free newspaper, happily because it that that's like a free thing and that's like therefore everyone has access to that information. But sometimes a book, I'm a bit like, but that's it's your. It feels like an ownership to me, but I think that's because of how I you see, feel about actual books. You see, what I do is because typically I'm standing up on the train, mm. and even if if it's a crowded train and there's seats, I won't sit down because you know. I will take up the entire seat and I'll hunch Eight. up and I'll try try not to take up the entire seat and I'll try and be as small as possible <laughs> but that still makes me an average sized person if I try and shrink myself what's the thing called there's a word now that's gone into the dictionary for when ma- men sit on public transport yes thank yeah, you man spreading I, I do the opposite which is man shrinking because <laughs> I am I'm very aware that I can just sit down and that's the entire bench gone and that's not fair so I have to, you know, try and try and make myself a person-sized person. Isn't that more? Isn't that more due to your physical size than the fact that you're being douche and just like taking up all the space because you feel entitled to it? Yeah, uh, that. What well, I think, manspreading. Manspreading is that. Yes. yes. Yeah. What I'm do, What yes. I do. I don't. Yeah. I don't manspread. No. I, I, the op- I do the opposite of manspread, which is why we're aware that because, and that's because I spent a lot of time in very crowded areas in my me growing up. But anyway, not time for my life story. Um, but one of the things I do when I'm because I'll be standing up mm. is I I will look down and there'll be someone reading. Yeah. And I look at and normally they're on a Kindle because most people you know at least half people are on a Kindle. I'll try and guess. What no, I do that. I do that. I'm because at first I'll look at them and be like and see if I can work out at least what type of book I think it might be without looking at the book because I think the whole like judging books by their cover sometimes I like to see just if I what I can work out about the person so therefore what work out what type of book 
it might be but then yeah I'll, have, I'll see what I can glean from the book to work out what the book is isn't this that arguably well. right Fifty Shades and everything else in that sort of um, genre that became big when it did is Kindle not one of the things that they're saying that's why it became it did because you could sit on the tube or the train or the tram or and whatever no and nobody knows on a trip everyone knows Every, everybody everyone knows. knows on a trip from um, Manchester to Nottingham which was four train changes for oh good grief uh, all crowded all the way along uh, I saw five Kindle versions of Fifty Shades of Grey I see a lot of people reading like and how did you know books. how did you know because I've read Fifty Shades of Grey and I can recognise the writing style. Yeah. So I looked down, looked at the writing style, and went, "Oh God, it's awful." <laughs> uh, <and it> <laughs> Interestingly, you can also quite easily, even though it's a much superior book, you can do that with the Hunger Games as well because the uh. cadence is so yeah. clear. See, I lived in London when um, the Dan Brown thing was huge, and you could not get through a tube journey without seeing at least three copies of the Da Vinci Code. But it was books; it was still books at that point. I love that yeah. marvelous. Uh, David Langford story that he tells where uh, apparently an author friend, friend of his had written a, a comedy book and he noticed someone on the train reading his book mm-hmm. and he looked and then saw that the guy was like about 10% in and he was like right, you're just about to get to the big gag you're just about to get to the big gag <laughs> I'm going to miss my stop <laughs> so I can see if you laugh <laughs> And then before he got there, the guy he missed his stop, and then the guy put his book away. No! Follow him. I'm really sorry. Can I just can I just watch you read that? Because that's a different thing. I think that would be creepier than someone telling you that they're reading over your shoulder. It's like, can I just watch you read? That that that's a different form of creepy. But he totally should have. And then explained. (laughs) See if he'll do it for you first. I have been (laughs) challenged for reading in the past. Like I've been sitting quietly. Mm. reading and then you know someone's tried to engage me in conversation someone who's drunk is trying to engage me in conversation and you know you kind of you kind of just want that person to go away yeah what they're trying to do is you're not a reader are you (laughs) oh I had there's someone who's trying to kick off a fight uh, fight and they were like uh, I said something because I'm an idiot and um, what have we learnt nothing Mm. um and, and they were like, Sh- you should just go away and read your book. And I was like, I very pointedly closed my book, put it in my bag, and I went, excuse me. <laughs> At which point they backed down and left. What? Oh. But that's horrible. I hate that sort of... We're talking about trains now and how awful trains are. We're not talking no, about No, we're anymore. not. We're talking about books. We are. We're talking about books and public book reading and, and its difficulties yeah. I get strange looks because depending on where I am in a story because I, I do use public transport I do walk everywhere if I've been on a train and then have to walk to my place if I don't want to put my book down I can walk and read I'm one of those people that have worked out the that's angle that, that allows me that's to see the page and the path that's um, but that's the thing you just get weird looks from a lot of people <laughs> so sometimes I do I'm like in my own little bell from Beauty and the Beast moment where I'm like yeah that, I'm her I'm, I'm that I'm that person <laughs> see, if I could, no. <laughs> if could get a feed into my glasses so like one eye was just kindling and I could just read and then yeah be. I'm sure that'll be the next step of Google Glass surely Google read Google books yep. yep. um, actually I think that might be a bit mm, I don't know I don't I'd know. get too easily distracted and then I'd just be like "This, what I'm doing is really boring just put my book on 
No one will know. It's when you're <laughs> reading and the immersion of the book matches what's going on around you. Oh, God, yes. That's creepy and weird as well. I read The Old Man and the Sea in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realise until halfway through that I was just like, actually, this is a really cool place to do this because <laughs> like, the water's moving. I may have told the story before, but my, my brother, bless him, bought my father a book when he was away at sea at Christmas. Yes. And then it was it the Poseidon Adventure? It was the perfect storm. <laughs> well done. Well done. That's like when they played Castaway on um, aeroplanes. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Or Captain Phillips when you're on a cruise. <laughs> Not sort of... Um, have you read it? Yes. Oh, sorry, everyone. Kind of. Yeah. Well, it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. And goodbye from me, Dal. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>